0: Alrighty, so it's just hit 4 o'clock, and so I'm going to kick off the call. My name's Bonnie, and I just wanted to welcome everyone to the Community Matters Conference Call on Green Economies. Um, These calls are brought to us with huge thanks to the folks at the Orton Family Foundation. Um, They're really putting on these calls as a way to connect really great people with amazing ideas and implementation that's happening across the country. Uh, Today, we're focusing on green economies, and we're joined by Jared Lang, Program Manager of NACO's Green Government Initiative, and Mark Rember, Co-Founder and Director of Energize Clinton County. And so this is the final in a series of calls focused on local economies, and on this series so far, we've covered Going Local with Bill McKibben. We've covered Local Finance and Currency, and we've covered Fostering Entrepreneurship, um, and they've all been amazing, engaging, energizing conversations, so we're really looking forward to today's. But before we get started, I just wanted to go over a couple of ground rules for the call. Uh, in terms of agenda, we'll do a series of short introductions from our two speakers today and then open up for questions uh, and then finish with a couple of ways to take immediate action. So just in terms of the list, uh, logistics, if we can start, please make sure that you've put yourself on mute. And jump into the Google Doc that we've made available to take notes and ask questions. Um, This is how I'll be able to moderate any questions that come in. So please add your name to the question, and I'll call on you to speak up and join the conversation. Um, Now, everyone on the call, this is for you guys. Please do not hesitate to ask a question. Um, This is a really great chance to chat with some of the most amazing people doing terrific work in green economies. So let's make the most of the call today and have a great conversation. So with that, I will hand over to Jared to do a short introduction.
1: Hey, um, I'm Jared Lang. Um, I'm with the National Association of Counties in Washington, D.C. I'm the Program Manager for Sustainability Programs, and I just wanted to talk a little bit um, about kind of, I think, as we delve into this green economy concept it makes a lot of sense to try to get an idea of the scope of it um, and what are we actually really talking about. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, components of this, and I think you know I just wanted to share a little bit informally about the way we've been thinking about this at the National Association of Counties. And so, just to give you a little bit of background on NACO very quickly, um, uh, that we are we advocate um, and provide education for all 3,068 county governments across the country. Um, We have a little bit over uh, two-thirds of them are actually dues-paying members of the organization, but we represent everyone. Um, And as the program manager for sustainability programs, I do a lot of public-private partnerships around sustainability activities, and lately I've really been asked by my board and my members to really focus on the connections between sustainability and economy. Um, And that's sort of how we see green government, our our green economy, as kind of this, um, the areas that overlap, the sort of overlapping circles between um, economic development and environmental protection, and where we could do those things simultaneously. So, you know, uh, just talking a little bit about what that means for county government – or local government in general, uh, an integration of local government services around environment and economy. So, you know, essentially the easiest way to explain it is economic and workforce development departments, you know, start to think about how their policies are influencing um, environmental quality um, and, you know, how, how they can create jobs around the environment. And then environmental and planning departments thinking about the impacts of the, a lot of the decisions that they make on jobs and how they could create uh, policies that promote job growth and economic activity and not slow that. So I just want to talk a little bit um, about kind of, so before, I think before you all really start to get into what is the green economy, it helps to think a lot about what are the jobs in the green economy. And I don't have much time I don't to spend on this, so I don't want to go over it. But we have some really great um, sort of charts and kind of diagrams about, you know, who's included in this, how, how to look at their jobs. And, you know, it's it's the efficiency, green building, all the way from manufacturing to installation of things to planning. So it's a very broad field, and it's very easy to get lost in all of this. And you could spend a lot of time just on one of them. So, um prioritizing is, is pretty important here. So I just wanted to talk a little bit also about some of the strategies that at NACO we've really broken down as what is the green economy. So there's five of them. Um, number one for us is uh, green economic development, which is essentially um, attracting new businesses, new green businesses into our community, but also something that's been coming up. is called economic gardening Um, and focusing on green businesses is providing um, your existing businesses with uh, information, expertise, um, marketing to help them grow. So that's sort of number one, Um, and these are not in the order of importance. So number two is resource efficiency um, and green purchasing, which is what a lot of our local governments really think of as kind of the bread and butter of the activities that they could do would that overlap their economic activity, good investments, and be sustainable at the same time. And that's sort of the purchasing green products, managing their fleets better. It's a lot of internal work and also green building policies internal to county government. Um, Then we uh, number three is um, local production. Um, local production, in both mostly in terms of food, um, looking at food systems, and also looking at renewable energy, um, has been a real uh, sort of keeping money inside the economy. I could probably add local um, financial, local currency into this also, um, which I think would be a good thing. Um, number four is uh, waste stream management. Um, especially from the county government side because uh, there's counties do so much uh, activity around waste management. uh, They've really been focusing on this as an area where they could save money, make good investments, uh, more sustainable. Uh, So they've been employing a lot of new technologies and strategies in this space. And then finally is sustainable design and planning is number five. And that's really kind of the smart growth, form-based codes, creating the types of spaces for um, walkability, uh, reducing commutes and helping businesses grow um, by creating economic activity on the street, things like that. So, you know, just uh, moving forward, we're working with the Brookings Institution on how to foster, like, clean tech businesses. Um, we're working with uh, AECOM to try to create a tool uh to um, basically help counties prioritize what strengths they have in the green economy and where, where what their what their strengths are and what directions would make the most sense for them to spend their time um, we're doing a lot of time focusing on how local governments purchase uh we just created a new toolkit for that and we're also uh have a database where we're collecting case studies so if you look on the uh google doc um, at the bottom, there are several uh, documents. Naco's Green Economy Resources. The first document in GoGreenCommunities.org um, it actually lays out the sectors and has the um, the green job sectors I was talking to you about. So you could see those visuals. Um, the next piece is just a little more detail into jobs, into green jobs. The brochure is, has the green government database and all the things that um, we do in general here at NACO um, in addition to green economy. and then the fifth one or the last one is the um, is just a survey that we did in 2010 about what is what counties consider as sustainability. So I see there are some questions popping up and we'll wait I guess and we'll we'll turn it over to Mark.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Jared. That's a, a really great overview of the work that you guys are involved with, and there are a bunch of great questions coming in that we'll, we'll address. Um, for anyone on the call, those questions are coming into the Google Docs, so um, if you have questions, jump in there. Don't be afraid to type stuff in. Uh, we'd love to hear all of your questions and uh, and any case studies that you guys might have, because we're well aware that you're also doing amazing work in your own communities, and we'd love to hear about those examples as well. Um, so now I'm going to pass over to Mark to give a bit of an overview of the work that you're involved with in Clinton County.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Mark Rembert. Uh, I'm from Wilmington, Ohio, and I'm the co-founder and director of Energized Clinton County. Uh, Energized Clinton County actually sort of grew out of a crisis in 2008 Wilmington lost its largest employer, uh, which was DHL. Their U.S. shipping hub was in Wilmington. Um, And so overnight, we lost about 10,000 jobs that were located in Wilmington. Um, And this is in a county of 40,000, a town of 12,000. So it created a a massive moment of economic change um, in Clinton County and really the surrounding counties. It's the largest employer uh, for a nine-county region in southwest and south-central Ohio. And um, and so as this crisis was sort of setting in, um, you know, there were a lot of questions about what a community can do to respond. And at the time, um, I was actually on my way to Peace Corps service in Ecuador. And while I was waiting to deploy, uh, one of my best friends growing up in Wilmington, Taylor Stuckert, uh, was unexpectedly evacuated from his Peace Corps service in Bolivia. And so we found ourselves in Wilmington at this moment of, of massive change, sort of wondering what does, uh, what, what do communities do in, in moments of crisis like this? There's not a lot of precedent out there, fortunately, for a crisis of, these, uh, of this sort of magnitude. And uh, I think as we sort of thought about the problem from the standpoint of international development, um, we began to really sort of... Dive into the question of how do we make every citizen of our community an agent of economic change. Um, obviously, there are a lot of sort of economic development uh, strategies that we can use that are more traditional in terms of industrial recruitment. But um, we realized that in the sort of given circumstance, everybody in our community needed to be conscious and aware of how their day-to-day lives and their economic decisions were impacting our economic present and our economic future. And so. We founded energized Clinton County to kind of lead that, that conversation and also um, develop and deploy some initiatives that uh, create channels for communities or for, for citizens to sort of be these agents of economic change. And the way we kind of conceived of um, the community and our strategy is this idea of a leaky bucket and uh, the idea of uh, wealth flowing into the bucket um, during the heyday of DHL uh, so much wealth flowing in that we didn't have to really think about the leaks. Um, but of course when that has been when that was turned off in two thousand and eight, uh we've really had to focus in on on plugging those leaks and keeping wealth in our community. And uh we've approached that from a lot of different ways, but one of the, the sort of central um, sort of focal points of our organization has been on um, on energy and the way in which uh energy uh Leaks a lot of wealth out of our community, uh, and, and looking for ways to to plug that leak and create new um, business and economic opportunities um, at the same time. So um, we 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 sort of explored a lot of different possibilities. Um, recently, we cut the ribbon on a, a 56 kilowatt solar um, solar unit that we developed in collaboration with the city of Wilmington. That's now powering a city-owned industrial site. Um, that has been a great that was a great sort of uh learning process and um, you know I think provides a great demonstration for, for possibility for the community. But in terms of kind of sheer impact um and kind of the low hanging fruit, we've really focused on energy efficiency. Uh and particularly sort of exploring the question of how do you scale Energy efficiency to a community level, and I think this is a question that a lot of people are asking across the country. Um, and you know, I don't know if the answer has quite been figured out yet. I think that there's still um, there's still a lot of kind of issues surrounding the process of energy efficiency and how you're able, how, how one is able to scale it um, so that you can sort of maximize <laughs> community level. And uh, we've been very fortunate to develop a, a strong partnership with the University of Dayton, which is about 40 minutes from Wilmington. And uh, they have had a long history of work on of industrial energy efficiency, but um, have shifted their focus in the last few years to also kind of explore um, large-scale commercial or residential energy efficiency. And um, and so part of the, the sort of equation that, that we focus on is... How do you get um, you know middle and high income households to invest in energy audits and energy efficiency? There are a lot of programs out there already for low income housing, but for the kind of how the middle in middle and high income citizens that, that do have the means to invest uh, we, we sort of wonder why they aren't investing when there's such an opportunity to save and um, and so we worked with UD to to kind of develop a system that provides um, some some Really fundamental information to homeowners about their energy usage that we hope will help help the homeowner identify whether or not they need an energy audit or not, and if so, what kind of improvements they're likely to to have to make, and what those costs will be, and what the likely payback will be. And so um, we've been working on an online platform with University of Dayton called Dropoli, and there's actually a link. I, I posted a link next to my name on the Google Doc uh, to just a three slide three slide give you kind of an overview of it, but basically it's a, it's a platform where a homeowner can go in, um, enter a year's worth of, of energy data about their home, and immediately get a, a sort of report card for their home, um, helping to uh, grading them on an A to F scale on their efficiency, giving them an estimate for their annual estimated energy savings, and providing a few recommendations, including whether or not they need to, to have an auditor come in and do a full on-site audit of their home. And um, we've already uh, we we've sort of deployed this in a, a more scaled-down version to um, about 150 households in our community um, this past summer, and now a, a number of those folks are beginning to, to go through the auditing process. But um, we're hoping that this new platform will uh, really allow us to, to scale this effort to uh, – to the entire community and also, um, I think, hopefully in the next six months or so, become a platform that um, we'll be able to share with with other communities. But, um, you know, it all goes back to sort of this question of how do you address the individuals in a community and empower them to be um, the sort of agents of change, uh, sort of economic change, but also, I think, related to green development and the way in which um, uh, the 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 decisions of of community members on a day-to-day basis uh, can have huge impacts, and when those are are massed together can can really um, fundamentally change a community. So I guess I'll wrap it up there and then leave it open for questions.
0: That's that's a really great overview of of your work as well. Um, I know the work you've been doing in Clinton County has been really spectacular. we have a bunch of questions come in, um, and to me it sounds like the uh, the point that you finished on, Mark, is one of the most important to touch on um, as we get people talking, uh, which is around how you address individuals and empower them to be agents of change. Specifically around green economies, um, there's, there's probably a lot of... Um, messaging that needs to occur, and so I guess I'd, I'd be really interested in hearing both of you talk a little bit more about what you're doing to actually activate individuals
2: in the community. Do you want to take it away, Mark? Sure. Well, for us, it's been, it's been kind of a long process. Um, we, we've had to just kind of ask a lot of questions and try a lot of things and figure out where the stumbling blocks were. So... Um, You know, first we thought the problem was there weren't enough energy auditors. So we worked to find some energy auditors. Some people got trained. Um, We connected with some firms from the region that were interested. Started connecting those people with uh, those folks with people in the community. Found that wasn't enough. Um, We started working with the banks. They said, yes, we're interested in financing energy efficiency. We promoted that. That didn't really work. And so, as we kept trying things and finding what didn't work, um, we began to hone in on the fact that there's this kind of, like, baseline level of information that people don't have about their homes. And it's kind of like everybody knows the efficiency, the fuel efficiency of their car, but nobody knows the energy intensity of their house. And it's sort of a similar data point. You know, like, if you're going to make a, uh, an educated decision on buying a car based on fuel efficiency, you, you need to know how many miles per gallon that car gets. But people don't really have that idea of this is the energy intensity per square foot of my house, and this is what normal should be, and this is what efficient is, and this is where I am. And getting people that information is not easy because you have to account for weather fluctuations. You have to deal with all sorts of issues. That's where working with UD has been really valuable for us because they provided the kind of... Expertise in the statistical analysis of energy data and have been able to package that into a system where now we can help the homeowner get that, that key piece of information which we think is really the first step for getting them to, to then connect with an energy auditor, to then connect with a bank to get financing if they need it. Um, but, but really without that, um, even people who I think understand it just, say there's too much risk in paying three to five hundred dollars for an energy audit. If they didn't know whether or not that audit would tell them they were already efficient, you know, if, they did, if the audit comes back and says there's nothing you can save, then they've just, you know, theoretically wasted money on this audit. So making sure that the people who get it, who need energy audits, get them, and the people who don't need them don't get them, uh, that's been really that's sort of where we've focused in. And so, you know, but that took a long time of trying different things and finding what was really holding people up from making the right steps.
3: That
1: was great, Mark. So um I can make I just want to make a couple of comments maybe a little more broadly it's nice that Mark has some specific experiences that he can really point to um and I think this is kind of sort of a, an important part of the conversation um but you know what I just wrote a chapter for a book on kind of the politics of local government sustainability and what we're really finding is that um You know, we're in a really conservative time, and uh, counties, officials, um, and staff are very hesitant to take risks. So when pursuing these strategies, I would pursue the strategies that you could prove had the least risk. Um, And that's why I think, you know, these case studies, these financial analyses, you know, I, I don't think anybody is doing sustainability because they think that um, it's just kind of good for the environment, but it, it doesn't matter to the other legs of the stool, the equity and the economic leg of the stool. I think everybody wants to do something that works for all three legs of the stool. Um, but there are certain strategies that have been proven to really work, um, and those are a lot of them are, are in the energy space, and a lot of them are in sort of the waste management space, um, maybe some fleet management. So there are certain strategies that have really been proven to work um, and that have good case studies, and you could show your electeds, you could help your elected officials, show them about how this isn't as risky as they think it is, and just because it's new doesn't mean that, you know, we don't know how to do it. Um, So I would say... When you're pursuing pr- these strategies, you've got to pick a few that you feel comfortable have real returns um, and make do, do only do a few if you have to do less and they have to show you know and because they have to show real returns, it's better to do less and to do them and to show an actual return than to do more and not have the sort of the, the return at the end. Um, because it completely defeats the purpose, and it actually works across purposes to everything that all of us are trying to do. Um, So don't take the risks that you think you can't mitigate, uh, is what I would say.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, guys. It sounds... uh, There's a couple of really good points in there about understanding people's needs and limiting risks and, um, and finding ways to prove returns um on on that point um I think there's there's an interesting question in this document around um talking about getting over initial hurdles that you need to convince people that green is worthwhile so when we're talking about uh risk averse times how how do you guys start to talk to people about why green is good?
2: I'll start there um and it's kind of interesting you know, talk, you know, as Jared said, we're in kind of conservative times and Clinton County is about as conservative a community as you would find and exponentially so during conservative times. Um, so it's been kind of an interesting place to work on an initiative like this uh, where culturally it's definitely not kind of the norm. Um, but, you know, I think, so, so like, for instance, we've, been challenged many times by our local tea party who questions, you know, what we're doing or our intentions or whether or not this makes sense. And it's interesting that when we engage them in kind of this, this discussion of the leaky bucket, it makes, real, it makes a lot of sense to them, and I think it really um, resonates with their own values, which is that there's this, I think, you know, there, there seems to be a movement taking place of relocalization both from sort of the left and the right, uh, that, that people are interested in more sort of autonomy on the local level or more responsibility on the local level. And so, you know, we've framed energy issues from that perspective and really challenged people to think about the resources that we give up when we waste energy, that we're sending, you know, I'm sure, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars on an annual basis in wasted energy to a utility that doesn't operate in our community, doesn't necessarily invest that much in our community. Um, And those that's all wealth that we could be reinvesting in local businesses, that we could be donating to our local churches or our local nonprofits or investing in our schools. I mean, these are resources that we need to... Be a more resilient, self-sufficient community, and we're wasting them. And in order to achieve the the goals, I think that a lot of probably the a lot of the folks that are probably more um, sort of conservative in their their political views than, than perhaps they might imagine we are. Um, you know, framing them in those terms really, I think, has resonated with them. They've really come to see that they are giving up some of their freedom and autonomy by giving away their wealth to um, a utility that doesn't necessarily serve explicitly the interests of our community. Um, So, you know, I think that it's kind of finding that, that, that connecting point between what the vision and the desires of the sort of diverse, I guess the diverse vision and desires of people in the community and finding those connection points to, um, to kind of green development. And I think there are. I mean, I think that's one of the exciting things about the, this sort of whole field is that it's there's so many different ways of approaching it that it can really appeal to a lot of different people in different ways.
0: It's an incredibly convincing argument. Um, and it sounds like what you're talking about is finding a common ground for anybody to understand. Um, Jared, do you want to jump in?
1: Sure, sure. So, you know, I would say the most important thing is in this, this sort of like stool or prism of like, you know, economy, environment, and equity, just because you turn the, the prism and you look at it through the lens of economy doesn't mean that you can't address environment and equity at the same time. So, you know, I mean, what we are encouraging our members to do is really focus on energy security security. Price security, local control of your destiny, um, you know, the better use of existing resources. So if you look through the guide that we created, you'll notice green purchasing is all about better using money you're already spending. I mean, that's not – doesn't take rocket science. And we have a lot of counties that are actually saving money purchasing green. (laughs) I mean, that's, you know – Look, while you're looking at your existing budget to try to save money, how about you try to make it a little greener? That's hard to argue with. Well, um, if I
2: could get your email and
3: your
1: phone number. Oh, and so, you know, and then another thing is, you know, if you have these kind of things coming up on the horizon that are capital improvements or you're going to, you're going to make an investment, spend a little time thinking about how to make a better investment. That associate that that helps out environment and equity at the same time. I mean, you could say, you know, there, there's something going through your your community board, your 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 local government board. You could say, whoa, 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 you, have we thought about the environmental impacts? Is there a way to purchase this green? Is there a way to invest this green? Can we look at our existing utility bill and do a performance contract? Where do you? Uh, so performance contracts basically allow you to um, borrow against the savings that you'd create um, to do energy efficiency work, um, and then borrow against the savings that you'd create from that efficiency, and pay off a loan um, with the with the savings. Uh, and you, so you take that savings, and then in year seven or year ten, whatever, however it takes long to pay off that loan then you get the savings in your budget. So it costs you nothing on top, and now you're doing a bunch of energy efficiency work. So there's a lot of strategies to internalize. Uh, you know, we, we a lot of our members come to us and they try to say, we want to do sustainability, but we need some investment. We need some money from outside or something like that. Sustainability is not about getting investments from outside. It's about doing more with what you already have. I mean... It's about looking at the system and, you know, doing more with what you already have inside the system. So I, I don't I don't buy the argument that because we don't have money in the economy right now we can't do sustainability. I don't think it's true.
0: Fair fair point. Uh one of the the really interesting points that you just hit on there, uh, was this idea of investigating green options during points of change when new contracts are up or uh, you're investigating the budget. And Mark, you spoke about a a similar uh, point in in your introduction there where the work that you're doing really came about at this big crisis point in your community. Um, I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit more about that and also maybe um, help people understand some ways that um, they could really start to make some changes when when there isn't a major crisis, when things are just kind of going on as business as usual? Because often those those crisis points can be major catalysts. So what are some ways that people can start to think about um, making a greener change happen without a major crisis? Mark, do you want to touch on that first?
2: Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think one of our hopes from our crisis is that able to have some successes here, then people in other communities can say, "Well, if they were able to do it in Wilmington, we better we ought to be able to do it here." Um, you know, I think part of our goal has been to provide an example that will hopefully serve as a tool for leaders in other communities that want to um, want to to be sort of proactive on green development, but may not have the sort of ...that we've had here to, to kind of push people to look beyond but we um, Beyond that, I mean, I think that for us, you know, we're a small community and, you know, our, we definitely don't have a lot of resources, and so we've been really lucky um, to develop some, you know, really powerful, powerful partnerships that have, set, have made our work possible, for instance, with University of Dayton. And, and, you know, our crisis has helped us do that in some ways because it's brought a lot of attention to our community. But I think that there are a lot of people out there, and I think academia is a great place to look for partners because there are a lot of people in academia who are looking for people to work with but may not necessarily have the, you know, skills or experiences themselves to go out and find partners in communities where their research or their work might be applicable. And so, um, you know, if I were to do this all over again, I would probably be more aggressive looking for those partnerships early on um, because that, I think, provides a lot of resources. And in terms of motivating, you know, community leaders, so if you're someone who's not in the government and you're sort of battling, um, you know, a city council or county government that. Doesn't necessarily share the same vision, or you know, may not be against what you're doing, but may may not be helping. Usually, finding an institutional partner can help grease those wheels a little bit. Um, you know, bringing in, partnering and working with folks from outside of the community can kind of motivate motivate people from within. So, um, you know, those those are a few. Um, And I think that marketing and communication is so critical. I think, you know, it's something that perhaps in the past has been kind of overlooked in the kind of nonprofit social change sector, but seems to be kind of moving to the forefront of the conversation. But so much of what we do is just communication. Um, And we're fortunate. I, I had had a background in public relations before, um, making plans to head to the Peace Corps. And I look back at those experiences as are so valuable now because, um, you know, I have to use those skills every single day uh, to try to shape the sort of values and priorities of the community, of my neighbors, and also public officials. And so, you know, if you don't have a crisis that's creating a story for you, then you kind of have to create a, a compelling story yourself. And that's where I think marketing and communication um, it's so critical.
0: Awesome, Jared. Do you uh, do you have anything to add from from a more kind of um, national level? There? What
1: was what was the question? Can you like can you repeat the question?
0: Sure. So we're talking about um, how crisis can be a great catalyst for change in communities. Um, and so, what are if if communities aren't experiencing a major crisis? Uh, what are some other ways to kind
3: of get the ball rolling in in the green? I mean,
1: I think, you know, the the only way that we're going to succeed in this is if we convince people in our communities that, you know, environment has value. And, you know, we show the value of infiltrating water instead of cleaning it through a wastewater management system. You know, we show the value of, uh, you know, maintaining a certain tree canopy because it cleans air quality and makes it so that we don't have to do it manually. You know, if we we show how efficient um, some of these systems are rather than doing it in some man-made manner, um, I think there's really, you know, that's kind of... We're only going to succeed if we build this into the way that we do our lives. And whatever crisis that comes up, it never amounts to very much anyway. I mean, we were going to fix... Everything in Katrina after Katrina in New Orleans was going to be 10,000 times better than it ever was and all this. And it's half of what it was. And I think that's probably a pretty fair explanation of what happens after a crisis. Um, you know, there might, they might point to some case studies or something like that, but unless we figure out how to you know, show value in equity and to, sh- to show the value that exists in environment. And it doesn't have to be a monetary value, but, you know, it, there's just some value, some community value. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's what I would encourage everyone to do, not hope for the next crisis, but try to fi- work with people and figure out how to place value and make people aware of the, the the human value of some of these natural systems and the value of equity and things like that.
0: That's uh, that's great. Uh, In the spirit of bringing the community into the conversation, is there anyone on the line that has a question uh, that they'd like to ask, Mark or Jared? By all means, uh, take yourself off mute. Speak up. We want to hear from you guys. Um, I know that there are no doubt big questions burning inside you, Um, so feel free. Is Kit still on the line? I know that you've written a question down here for Jared.
4: Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, I have. I, I was wondering whether um, at the county level of, and of course, you know, out west, water is a big issue, and though it's getting to be a big issue anyway, everywhere, not just uh, lack of water, but also of uh, dealing with storm water from, you know, climate change, more intense rainfall events, and of successfully making the case that there's, you know, green jobs and that there's money to be saved by looking at how we use water differently?
1: Yeah, where we're getting a lot of interest um, around is the um, the connection between um, energy efficiency and managing water systems. Um, so, you know, the water that we use, at, I mean, the energy that we use at pumping stations, the energy that we use to try to... Um, so you know, uh clean water and to purify it. Um is we have a lot of companies coming in and using kind of uh a, a model where they'll put down the investment to do the work. Um and then you'll appreciate the savings over a period of time where you probably will pay back a loan and then at a point your budget will be decreased. So that's sort of performance contracting model. Um As far as sort of uh, climate change issues and high water events, I haven't really seen a lot about, I understand the connection you're making um, and I could see that as being an opportunity and I'm sure it will be, um, but I haven't quite seen that yet. The, The connection between water and energy use is very real and happening right now and probably this whole sort of mitigation um climate mitigation adaptation uh stuff will come online probably like you know in this in this in this next decade will become a real business thanks sure i hope that answers your question I, we're still working on this stuff we're talking about you know this green economy these types of things are very kind of on the edge of, of things
2: so
0: And is there anyone else on the line that that wants to jump in and ask a couple of questions, uh, Jared and
3: Mark? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm muted or not, but um, my question is, uh, you talked about, you know, how do you get homeowners to realize that they can really save some money and actually do that. Um, We're trying to start what we're calling eco-teams or sustainability study groups, in effect, Uh, where we get people to, in effect, do their own assessments rather than paying $500 for an auditor, uh, but to identify those things that they can do. And I was just wondering if others had that kind of an experience.
2: This is Mark. I think that's exactly uh, the right approach because, like I said, we we ran into very quickly the, the issue that not everybody needs an energy audit. And it is it, it is a waste to have people get audits if they don't uh, if they don't need them. Um, so I'll definitely um, and I don't know if my contact info is on here, but uh, you know, like I said, we've been working with UD on developing a platform to serve ex- that exact purpose. Um, and I think there might maybe some other ones out there as well uh, that you could you could also check out. But there are ways that you can. Um, just use e- your existing home energy data and get a pretty accurate assessment of where you stand in terms of your home's energy efficiency. It won't necessarily give you the exact um, causes of inefficiency, but it will tell you whether or not you need to take that step and get an, a, a full energy audit. And, and, and that's critical So, because if you know you're going to save, you have the potential to save, you know, $2,000 a year or $1,500 a year on energy, um, then it makes sense to get a $500 energy audit. But if you only can save $500 a year, you know, maybe it's not, it, maybe it doesn't make as much sense to, to get an energy audit. So it, it, it kind of gives people that knowledge so they can make uh, a smart decision on uh, on what the right step for them to take might be. Uh-
3: I'll just add that I found a couple good things. Uh, EPA has some great uh, energy calculators. Uh, the city of Orlando has a good one. Um, the Northwest Earth Institute um, has uh, some good workbooks uh, that you, that communities can use. And also, David Gershon's got a book, uh, the Green Living Handbook, that uh, takes you through all aspects of uh, sustainability
0: those sound like great resources. Do you have access to the google doc
3: um yeah, I do and i'll I'll try to get that in
0: Excellent. That'd be great if you could add those Anyone else any more call any more questions? I know they're out there. Don't be shy, folks.
5: It, it, um, I don't know whether this is coming through or not, but um, a question comes from uh, listening to your discussion about things at a, at a county level or at a larger administrative level. It seems like a lot of the actions that we're looking to encourage people to take is at the is at the individual level, and I'm wondering what what sort of uh, activities you've found successful in. In organizing communities to think about things themselves. Uh, after you answer, I'll give you some examples of things
1: we've discovered out here in Oregon. So, are you asking, you know, how do you get county governments to, and or city governments to start making changes and become leaders themselves? Not so much the the
5: government's as... as well, I, guess, I suppose that's part of it, um, but it's really sort of... Um, it's, it's not top-down. It needs to be sort of bottom-up, or it's a combination of those kinds of things, so it becomes uh, an issue of, of grassroots activism um, coming back to, <laughs> to popularity uh, and getting people aware of not just the fact that they're consuming things and that there may be ways to save things, but to find the reasons... To do what that makes sense to them as individuals and as a collective community, to mm-hmm. understand the synergies that occur between between different activities, you know, the, the identification of you know one person's waste stream as another person's supply stream, and trying to find, get communities members of a community to understand and appreciate the potential for that, because what that means is that there's a way to to, to, to refocus um, a certain,
1: certain percentage of the economy. Hmm. I spend a lot of time thinking about how to help counties do this, mm-hmm. um, kind of how to, how to help them do it for themselves but also do it for their communities. Um, maybe Mark might be better. I mean, I, I have some ideas, but this is not my primary space.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so maybe, Mark, you want to talk a little bit
3: about this?
2: Sure. Um, I mean, I think that there's there's probably not one, a one-size-fits-all sort of solution to motivating grassroots change. Um, But I do think you're right that um, a lot of the, you know, even at a county level, um, and we're, we kind of experience this in our own community that, uh, you know, working with the county, you're, you know, and we have three county commissioners and they make decisions, I would say, as much for political reasons as for uh, pragmatic reasons. And so sometimes it's politically convenient to support sustainability, and sometimes it's not. And Mm so we found that it's really critical to have a strong base of community support around these issues so that um, they remain at the forefront of our sort of political discourse um, and that when the county is making decisions that – um, that these questions are are being considered, um, and I think that that's where a lot of it it just comes down to having you know those kind of change agents in a community that's, that that really kind of take the issue and serve as the advocates for it, and uh, you know there's not you know I, I think it takes having the right mix of people who share the vision to get it done. And that's a hard thing to, I think, strategize about. Uh, It's kind of one of those mysteries of community and, you know, why, you know, some communities do things that other communities don't, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's good. So, you know, I would say, just thinking a little bit about this question, I mean, what we encourage the, the counties to do if they want to motivate their communities is really, you know, education, 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 like, you know, uh, they hold one-day workshops, um, you know, and this goes for nonprofits, too. They take advantage, they, they do competitions, um, they take advantage of existing business groups or community groups um, and try to make them realize why this is important, um, and, you know, it's all about the value proposition, right? I mean, why is this important to people? can you put, can you show them the value of it and make it a priority? I think that's really what it's all about. Um, the, everybody has a million things that they're trying to do in their day and in their lives. Why are they going to pick this over the other things that they do? Um, and they need to feel like this is more valuable than the other things that they do. We're all, we're all competing for each other's time, um, and prior, prioritization of things. And, uh, you know, if you can't if you can't figure out how to get this on someone's agenda, nothing is going to be done with it. Um, but I would say, you know, really take advantage of those existing groups um, and see what you could do to engage people in a new way. People like to be entertained in a new way, so we find that like competitions work really well. Um, you know, sometimes webinars like you know like this. Um, you know, just uh. Some some counties are really having a good time doing like one-day green fairs. Uh, they're sending home stuff about sustainability in their newsletters. Um, just some things I could think of off off the top of my head. <laughs> um, the the, the, the and that sounds
5: you know, very encouraging, and and it's good to hear that people are thinking about these things and talking about these things uh, uh, elsewhere. The the experience we've had in uh, in In Oregon, through our offices' promotion of a concept called civic ecology is to have workshops where we bring citizens together representing all political points of view as well as economic uh, strata, um, to talk about their community and give them an assignment of of taking a map of their community and identifying the location of certain iconed um, uh, functions that exist. Around that, and then to start drawing connective links between them to understand relationships that exist between a grocery store and a composting facility, as well as an energy producer, um, to, to to recognize the fact that there are these in, the, these interdependent conditions that exist. It's um, brilliant.
1: And what then, you're really doing is you're showing them about maybe you know sort of different values that they never considered. And then they have an opportunity to decide whether these values are more important than the things that they were doing before. Right.
5: And, to and reorient then reorient themselves. And then not only that, to say, and what are the steps that we can take to optimize those things okay. for our own internal, our, our communal benefits? Whether it's, re, you know, reducing costs that get paid to someone from outside the community or, or, or whatever. Um, and, and they become really very very engaged and active things where we've had um, the experience of of uh, politically opposite ends of the spectrum coming together about a common issue and finding agreement and being able to work together on establishing a new industry in a community that uh, you know it's a mind-blowing experience which should happen in Washington but um, Anyway, I'll try and post on the on the on the website the a TEDx talk that that one of our people did <coughs> explaining this whole concept of civic ecology that ties into uh, the notion of eco districts where we explore synergies between energy producers and energy consumers as well as water water producers and water users.
1: Sure. Are you in Portland? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah, I've I've seen the whole eco district thing. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, there's, well, there's a, there's a
5: three-day conference going on right now about this uh, as a summit to to explore that. But I think it's, it's it gets into the from the, from the point of view of, of smaller players attacking larger issues and understanding that there's a way that for both of the, both to work together and benefit from it um, are really terrific. Uh, this
4: is Kip. I think you make a good point. Is it it? You have really green economies is getting to you have to do some systems thinking and some principles of, of ecology and ecosystems need to be brought into the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely.
5: And I think you know in in with the exception of the most urbane of, 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 of locations, people have an appreciation of their environment. And even in an urban situation, they have an appreciation. It's a different environment and there's different different uh, subtleties about it. But uh, I think we're all all conscious of the fact that there is a context within which we exist. And even in Portland, you've got to show value. <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> you better believe it.
3: So
0: so folks, this, is, uh, this has been a terrific conversation. It sounds like there's a, a whole bunch of uh, extra special resources that you can bring to the, the uh, conversation. And if there are any links to TEDx Talks or the conference that's happening in Portland or any of the work that you're doing there, please add the links into the Google Docs so we can share them with everyone.
5: Absolutely. As soon as we can figure out how to do it, we'll get it done.
0: <laughs> uh, you can also if you'd like you can uh, you can respond to the email that uh, that you received about this call, and I'm sure add ah, okay. added for you.
5: Great, super thanks. Um,
0: now we are uh, we're hitting five to the hour. Um, the way we like to wrap up these calls is just with a a quick um, top one one or two things uh, from each of the speakers that everyone on the call could start to do to take action in their own communities, either when they get off the call or when they get up tomorrow. Um, what are a couple of really great things that people could start to do um, to, to get things moving on a greener track? Um, and I think if we can take it in the order that you guys started, Jared, if you have a couple of comments for people on um, on one or two things that, that you think people could do to get things started in their communities?
3: Sure.
1: I would say, you know, <laughs> um, aside from the fact of looking back at our website in about four or five months and using the tool that we're creating on prioritizing um, your, your strategies, I would say look through the publication that I posted, that link. Um, just think about what strategies are, there are the most progressive and excited people around um, and then focus on, you know, one or two of them. I would say the most excited people and places where you feel like you're you're most comfortable with, and you could find the best case studies. Um, and you can sell it politically. You can sell the value of this thing. Hello.
5: That's,
1: that's where I'd focus. Yes.
0: And uh, and Mark, do you uh, do you have a red hot tip for people? Sure.
2: Well, we actually, Energize Clinton County was born out of, like, I think the most old-school method of community activism, which was a letter to the editor, um, and then a community meeting. And that, and I think a compelling call to action is often the best way to get communities moving. So, you know, even if you don't know exactly what you're going to do, get people excited about the idea, and then get people excited about figuring it out. I think that's a... You know, uh, that to me is the one-size-fits-all approach. (laughs)
0: Fantastic, guys. Uh, All right, so uh, we're we're getting ready to wrap up. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for joining us today on what is our last in the series of Local Economies calls. There will be plenty more calls leading up towards the end of the year uh, on different topics. So uh, check back at the Community Matters blog and – That's going to be the best way to stay up-to-date with uh, all the conversations that we're having. Um, Next month, we are talking about networks, so uh, that'll be a great one to stay connected with. Um, So, on behalf of everyone from Community Management and Family Foundation, thank you, Mark and Garrett, and everyone for calling in, and I hope you all have a really great afternoon. We'll be making the notes from the Google Doc available, and... Uh, A podcast of this call will be up on the website shortly. So thanks, everyone. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.
4: Bye.